Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending from where you are connecting from. Welcome excellencies, esteemed ladies and gentlemen to our high level discussion on aligning climate and trade strategies in the least developing countries. My name is Franny Leotier. I'm the CEO of Southbridge Investments and I recently joined the ODI Board of Trustees. I'll be chairing this event. I'm pleased to say we have a select audience of about 60 individuals today. They're representing LDCs and other governments, multilateral organizations, research institutes, and think tanks. This is a topic of personal interest of mine because if we don't get climate right, and if we don't get trade right, many people, particularly in the LDCs, will suffer immensely. It is my pleasure to be moderating such an important conversation today at a pivotal moment in time. Next week, global decision makers will gather for COP26. This is a crucial opportunity to increase climate and our ambitions, particularly around climate, enough to hold global warming well below two degrees Celsius and ideally between 1.5 degrees. COP26 is followed just one month later by the 12th WTO Ministerial Conference. This event therefore comes at a timely moment as national decision makers recognize the importance of integrating climate goals into all economic decisions, including trade policy. Globally, we must also build a trade and climate architecture that works for the countries that are most vulnerable to economic and environmental shocks. The event today is hosted by the World Trade Organization's Enhanced Integrated Framework, ODI and the Institute for International Environment and Development, IIED. Our partnership aims to equip LDCs and recent graduates from the LDC category with the evidence, the networks and platform to effectively align and secure their climate and trade strategies in international negotiations. Our discussants today are His Excellency Ambassador Mr. Ahmad Rakaila, coordinator of the LDC group at the WTO, Dr. Jody Keane, Senior Research Fellow, International Economic Development Group, ODI, and Laura Kelly, Director, Shaping Sustainable Markets at the International Institute for Environment and Development, IIED. I'm pleased to say that His Excellency, Mr. Sonam Fonshu Wangi, Chair of the LDC Group on Climate Change, who is in Glasgow and was not able to connect with us this morning, uh, will shortly hear from him in a video that he has sent specially for this event. And we also later on will include recorded remarks from Dr. Beth Dunford, Vice President, Agriculture, Human and Social Development at the African Development Bank. But before we start, just a few housekeeping um, comments. The event is being translated live in French and English. So please click on the globe button below and choose the language. I recommend keeping your preferred language setting throughout the event. I kindly ask the speakers to speak slowly to ease translation. We will have dedicated moments for questions and answers as you will have seen in the agenda. Please use the Q&A icon to make questions and comments in the Q&A segment. 
Finally, please note this event is being recorded as was mentioned. The recording of the event will be made live next week on digital channels. And now without further ado, it is an immense honor to be able to share a message from the WTO Director General, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iawala. Uh, please can the ODI AV team play the recording. Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it is a privilege to be invited to share my thoughts today. I'm a firm believer in the power of trade to lift the least developed countries out of poverty. However, this cannot be done while the natural world that forms the very foundation of our livelihoods is under threat. The least developed countries are the most vulnerable group in our global community and stand to be greatly impacted by climate change. This is despite their collective contribution to global emissions being negligible. According to the latest Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report released in August 2021, we are experiencing more and more extreme changes to wetness and dryness, wind, snow and ice, coastal areas and oceans. The global community needs to find the mechanisms to handle this reality and trade must play a crucial part in the solution. I have three points to make on this today. First, there must be better coordination between trade and climate in the international community. The WTO recognizes recent efforts by the least developed country group by ODI and IIED as supported by the Enhanced Integrated Framework, EIF, to make sure that the voice of the least developed countries will be heard loud and clear at COP26 and other international events. The WTO has been working very closely with other international institutions, such as the International Monetary Fund, the OECD, and the World Bank, to see how we can improve coherence. There is no shortage of expertise, but this now needs to be brought together in a meaningful way with the least developed countries and the wider development community to address related issues of climate change and trade. The LDC's voice, which is going to be crucial in the process, needs to be heard. Second, aid for trade must be better targeted to address climate change issues in line with least developed countries' nationally determined contributions. Recent OECD findings put the total amount of aid for trade resources since 2006 as exceeding 400 billion US dollars. However, the climate finance target as laid out in the COP16 Accord has so far fallen short of the commitment to mobilize US $100 billion a year by 2020. We need to work together to explore the opportunities of aid for trade to address climate change issues in the LDCs and explore opportunities for mutual leveraging of resources. Nationally determined contributions can also benefit from mainstreaming trade issues for instance, in Mali, a joint EIF and government initiative involves the planting of acacia trees over 10,000 hectares of land for, for a gum Arabic productive capacity building project. The initiative is part of regional efforts to create a great green wall for Africa, with the goal of halting the advancing Sahara Desert. Beyond the environmental gains, 370,500 people of whom 80% are women, depend on the production of gum arabic from
from the acacia trees in Mali, Mali for their livelihoods. Graduating LDCs have vulnerabilities as they stand to lose international support measures afforded by their LDC status. There are already some provisions in place through aid for trade programs, such as the Enhanced Integrated Framework, EIF, to support the LDCs up to five years after their graduation. But we need similar support mechanisms for climate change and better synergies among the two. With many crucial events taking place this year, such as COP26 and uh, the Ministerial 12 of the Trade Ministers, again, the LDC voice must be heard. Third, greater support is needed for the least developed countries regarding the many technical issues on the table. WTO members are currently in discussions on various issues, such as the liberalization of trade in environmental goods and services, fossil fuel subsidy reforms, the transition to a circular economy, plastics pollution and sustainable supply chains. However, given the limited LDC participation, greater consideration is needed to enhance the LDC's capacity to make informed contributions to these discussions. Effective carbon pricing is increasingly considered a key market mechanism to support low carbon just transitions, and the LDCs must reflect on this. Agreed pricing methodologies and approaches are needed, including for carbon standards, to ensure environmental integrity, given that we currently have no common standards in use. Technology transfer remains crucial, including related intellectual property issues, which have become even more apparent since COVID-19. Some of the lessons learned have implications for the dissemination of climate technologies in which trade has a critical role to play. These technical issues have been analyzed from the LDC and graduating LDC perspective in the analytical work undertaken by the ODI with support from the EIF. And we look forward to learning from some of these findings today. This work is only the beginning of an overdue journey for the trade and climate communities. Trade must be part of the solution for climate change. Nature has always been the source of our health and prosperity and we must all act together now to protect nature. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwala for this inspirational video. Your vision and insights set the tone for our conversation today and touch on points that we will unpack later, such as carbon pricing and technology transfer. I wholeheartedly endorse your call to make sure that trade becomes part of the solution to the climate crisis and that LDC voices are heard in the process. So let's kick off the discussion now. I'd like to give the floor to His Excellency, Mr. Ahmed Makayla. Your Excellency, welcome. As the DG WTO just mentioned herself, the WTO recognizes efforts by LDC group to make sure that the voice of the LDCs is heard loud. The DG also mentioned that graduating LDCs are vulnerable as they stand to lose international support measures afforded by their LDC status. Can you tell us more about how EIF, ODI, IIED partnership is working to support a smooth transition process for LDCs, which is important 
for strengthening their position. Ambassador. Merci. Um, merci beaucoup. Je Thank you. Uh, first of all, I would wish to begin by thanking you uh, for having uh, involved uh, the LDCs group uh, in these uh, important uh, discussions. I would uh, first of all uh, wish to greet you and uh, thank you on behalf of the LDCs. To answer your question, like you said uh, clearly, uh, I think uh, Dr. Ngozi mentioned uh, specific points uh, and uh, I feel those are very important. And we think that uh, this specific project supported uh, by uh, uh, the um, EIF is uh, uh, a welcome one because it helps us to uh, improve uh, our response, to improve our capacity to uh, negotiate on uh, uh, climate and uh, trade as well. In fact, uh, this of course will help us uh, to consolidate our thinking uh, as we approach um, uh, the next uh, uh, WTO event and uh, we hope uh, that, uh, uh, you know, it will take uh, into account our priorities, especially uh, regarding an international agreement that will help LDCs that are transiting or that are graduating from uh, uh, the LDC uh, category. Uh, we hope to uh, take into account uh, the climate change uh, dimension and uh, uh, we hope to uh, get you know, support for those graduating LDCs and uh, uh, we hope that the WTO members are going to share uh, a similar opinion. Uh, that said, uh, more LDCs could be encouraged to participate in uh, the WTO uh, discussions on trade and uh, any other issues regarding climate uh, and perhaps um, the most uh, relevant issues for uh, LDCs, uh, those uh, of course have been highlighted by the DG, uh, even if uh, the uh, Paris Agreement on climate uh, put in place a framework to uh, act on uh, climate change, it is important uh, that uh, the uh, trade area plays a major role in the implementation of this agreement. Uh, in this uh, difficult uh, context where uh, there are multifaceted environmental challenges, it is important to take into account the level of development and the specific needs uh, of uh, the vulnerable uh, LDC uh, countries. Of course, uh, all um, the commitments that have been made uh, are supposed to be facilitating technology transfer uh, towards the LDCs and uh, help in uh, adaptation uh, towards a more carbon neutral economy. This is what I can say on this question. We'll come back to you, but I wanted to give the floor to your counterpart on the climate side, His Excellency Mr. Sonam Wangdi, Chair of the LDC Group on Climate Change, who has kindly shared a video message with us. Can I ask the ODI AV team to play his video?
Excellencies, distinguished participants, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. I'm pleased to join you today. I would like to thank the World Trade Organization's Enhanced Integrated Framework, the Overseas Development Institute, and the International Institute for Environment and Development for convening this important meeting and for inviting me to provide remarks. Thank you for the invitation to speak and please accept my apologies for not being able to participate in person. I am currently in Glasgow leading preparatory discussions with the LDC group ahead of COP26 starting in a few days time. Two weeks ago, ministers from LDC countries gathered virtually and adopted the Thimple call for ambition and action on climate change. This declaration lays out climate change priorities for the LDC group ahead of COP26. Ministers noted with concern that current emission reduction pledges in the nationally determined contributions do not put the world on track to the 1.5 degree temperature goal of the Paris Agreement. In fact, we are deeply off track from meeting this goal. With current pledges, we are heading towards warming of 3 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. Already, even at 1 degree Celsius of warming, the impacts are devastating. Every year across LDCs, we are dealing with effects of drought, floods, landslides, heat waves, and irreversible biodiversity loss. The LDC group is going to COP with a clear message. Deeper emission cuts are urgently needed. World leaders, in particular the major emitters and industrial nations, must live up to the scale of crisis we face and must increase their ambition. We must also come together to think about solutions. And I believe that trade can play a central role in solutions to climate change. LDCs are not the largest polluters. However, LDCs have a clear vision, which is to deliver net zero emissions by 2050. We are, of course, committed to pursue economic growth, but this growth must be achieved in a low carbon manner. Trade can help shift production to areas of cleaner production and cleaner technologies. Trade can enable the spread of environmental goods and services that can help reduce emissions, for instance, in the renewable energy sector. As countries transition to low carbon economies, aligning action on trade and climate can generate new sources of economic growth and job creation. The poorest countries will be most impacted by climate change. For LDCs, a key priority is to enhance the adaptation capacity of our communities. In agriculture, for example, farmers fight to adapt to changing temperatures and changing rainfall patterns year by year. Trade provides access to inputs such as drought-resistant seeds that are essential to securing livelihoods and food security in our countries. 
the climate crises we face also require technological solutions. It is fundamental that LDCs participate in negotiations leading to trade policy and governing rules that fully align with climate goals. For instance, by removing barriers to trade that could restrict the distribution of clean technologies to developing countries. The subject of climate change and trade is likely to become even more important looking ahead. The interests of LDCs need to be aligned, acknowledged and supported. As I said at the beginning, there is real urgency here. I hope we can keep building on this dialogue and ensure we make a positive contribution together. Thank you for listening. I wish you a very productive discussion. Tash Delek. Thank you very much, Your Excellency, for that message and good luck in Glasgow. Uh, given His Excellency's remarks, I wanted to focus on the issue of climate for LDCs. But before I do that, I just wanted to, to uh, tell our participants that uh, if you have a question, please put it in the Q&A section and we'll come to them in the right time. Uh, let me now give the floor to Ms. Laura Kelly. Laura, uh, COP26 is just around the corner. What are the key priorities for LDCs and key issues for consideration in terms of what LDC countries would like to achieve this year in COP? And how do these priorities differ when you compare them to specific small island developing states, SIDS? Laura? Thank you, Franny. I hope everybody can hear and see me okay. I'm sorry I look very um, white, but I'm actually sitting in front of a window in London with very bright sunshine outside. It's nearly 18 degrees Celsius. That is almost unheard of for late October in London. So this really highlights, as we've just been hearing, the urgency of the climate crisis. And as uh, Sonam was just saying, going to Glasgow, this is a really crucial meeting for the LDCs on the climate side to make progress on the commitments that are needed to make emissions reductions, on the resources required to help the LDCs in particular and the, the SIDS to adapt, as well as to implement the green growth policies that they're talking about. So just to sort of go into a little bit more on each of those, those, um, those issues, deeper cuts on CO2 emissions. We, we all know we need it. We're seeing a plethora of net zero commitments coming out from countries uh, over these weeks in the run up to, to Glasgow. But really for those cuts to really make a difference, they have to be meaningful, measurable and transparent. One country's net zero might look quite different to another country's net zero. Are they really implementing green technologies? Are they just offsetting by, by planting trees? And actually are they, in some cases, um, outsourcing that tree planting that they're not doing it domestically, that they're, they're buying tree planting in, in other countries. So it's being really clear that these cuts will be meaningful and will make an impact. So that's something that's gonna obviously affect um, LDCs and SIDS the same. Um, Sonam also set out 
the really positive commitments that the LDCs are making. They have said that they want to reach net zero themselves by, by 2050, obviously because they are some of the lowest emitters, that's, that, 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 that isn't such a big issue. But for them to have green and inclusive growth that also grows their, their, their economies, that's really important. And the resources and technology transfer um, that's required uh, to do that really, really must come from the, the richer countries. We've recently done some research at IID um, looking at Bangladesh, looking at what households spend in dealing with climate change. And we've estimated that um, currently Bangladeshi households are spending around about $2 billion a year on dealing with climate change, which is approximately twice what their government is spending through domestic revenues or through aid money. So it just shows that, that this huge scale of, uh, of, of the challenge on the finance side. And that's perhaps where the, the difference between the LDCs and the SIDS comes through a bit more strongly. The LDCs have more access to concessional finance like aid for trade, um, and they tend to get more money through grants than through the private sector. But SID still need the, the resources to, to be able to adapt. And for those resources, again, a, a lot of um, debate and discussion in the run up to COP about countries meeting this 100 billion pledge. But it's not just about meeting the pledge. Again, it's the, the funds are delivered in a clear and transparent manner, that there's no double counting of grants. And, and also the, the, there is attention to how private investment can support, you know, Franny, this is an area I, I, I know that, that you're very involved in. Um, many LDCs find it difficult to attract private sector investment. So how can the public and private sectors work together to get more blended finance into the space? And that's something that many of the, the small island developing um, countries have been more successful with some of their uh, initiatives around um, ecotourism, blue tourism, finding ways to leverage public and private responses to the crisis, because we do all need to work together on this and we need to work together urgently. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Laura. Uh, before I come back to you, I wanted to explore the links between what has been said so far, the COP26 LDC considerations and where trade is concerned. So Jody, I'd like to bring you in now. Uh, could you outline the main areas of linkages between climate and trade and the challenges and opportunities for LDC countries? Yes, Jody? of course. Thank, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Excellency, for the interventions and also um, Laura. So yes, some of the main areas of linkages between the climate and trade regimes are beginning to be considered by WTO members. <clears throat> There's been a kind of flurry of activity really over the last couple of years. And in particular, um, there's a large group now around 55 members currently, and that includes a handful of LDCs that are taking part in the trade and environmental sustainability structured discussions at the WTO. So this is all very positive, but there is a need to be much more explicit regarding the issues surrounding the climate emergency that, that we are in. As emphasized by the um, LDC chair um, for, for climate, the UNFCCC, you know, trade must support adaptation. This is so crucial for the LDCs, but it also has a role to play in LDC, assisting LDCs mitigate climate change where this is a specific objective, you know, where there are um, ambitions to increase access to cleaner production and technologies and, and so on. So I think, you know, it's just bringing in this climate change emergency into discussions. I think this is really, really important. Just to give you an example, um, within the structured discussions, there's a focus on kind of sustainability issues and um, regarding labelling. But we're kind of shying away, really, from the tough issues 
around accounting for carbon and, and carbon standards and accounting all of these you know really tricky issues that we will we will need to confront these obviously feature high on the UNFCCC negotiators agendas but we don't yet see that reflected within the WTO um, discussions unfortunately the kind of focus on border carbon adjustment mechanisms at the WTO you know the discussions there don't make links for example to the um the the negotiations for an inter, a multilateral framework for international carbon markets this is a really key negotiation to be um, concluded at um, cop 26 regarding um, article 6 we know that some ldcs are in the firing line currently for the the eu's border carbon adjustment mechanism um, in particular we know mozambique could be hit very hard at the current time but it's likely that these types of schemes are going to grow in the future sectoral coverage is also like to likely to grow and given our commitment to LDCs, you know, as part of the sustainable development goals to increase their shares of world trade, you know, how to achieve this within this, this new kind of world of, of, of trade that we're moving into, you know, it's clear that LDCs will need a lot more support, um, more support for trade related adjustment. And this brings me to my final point. You know, there's a lot of focus at the WTO at the moment on greening aid for trade, but we still don't yet have a kind of conceptual framework um, to integrate both these kind of regulatory changes that are coming because of climate change, as well as the physical effects of climate change um, which are coming. So we do need to consider, you know, how to kind of update um, these our existing um, conceptual frameworks in order to better support LDCs in their trade and development objectives. Uh, thank you, Jody. I think uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'd like to come back to His Excellency, Mr. Ahmed Makayla. Your Excellency, I'd like to hear your perspective on these linkages, the challenges and opportunities for LDCs in Your Excellency's capacity as LDC coordinator, but also from Chad's national perspective. Ambassador? Merci, merci beaucoup, Dr. Frani, pour me redonner à nouveau la, la parole. Um, Thank you for once again giving me the floor. LDCs are not uh, producers of waste. Uh, you are aware of that, and uh, we are all aware of this, but they receive a lot of waste uh, from different parts of the world. We have been facing the effects, uh, collateral effects, of course, uh, of this, and uh, LDCs have uh, contributed least to the problem of climate change, and yet they are the most affected. Uh, already a number of LDCs uh, are experiencing increased uh, frequency uh, and intensity of climate-related natural disasters, and uh, these episodes uh, are increasing and they have a negative effect on our capacity uh, to use trade as a driver uh, for poverty reduction. And at the same time, climate change increases the uh, imperative for export diversification uh, for which trade is a crucial driver. We have already experienced major setbacks as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, our share of world trade has declined. And uh, we know that this uh, kind of shock is a precursor uh, to what could happen if the international community 
uh, does not achieve uh, the uh, uh, greenhouse emission gas reduction targets and uh, LDCs are facing a challenging uh, future trade landscape and uh, they must navigate carefully uh, in this landscape uh, as uh, the LDCs move forward. It is important that we find strategies uh, for transition, uh, for support from the multilateral trading system. And this includes um, addressing uh, the nexus uh, between climate and trade. And uh, of course, this is always not clear uh, for a number of members. We cannot uh, remain insensitive to these uh, serious concerns and we must act. Uh, and I think uh, we should uh, be aware that we are facing an emergency uh, in this area. You mentioned Chad, which is my country. Uh, in Chad and the generally all countries in the Sahel region that have been facing uh, new phenomena that we did not know before, uh, phenomena that has to do with flooding. Uh, it is not raining that much, uh, but when it rains, it is intense uh, for a short time and uh, it leads to displacement of the population and it has a considerable impact uh, on pasture animals no longer have enough uh, pasture lands and this creates a lot of tension and conflict uh, between agriculturists and uh, um, cattle keepers and uh, populations uh, have been displaced uh, due to lack of uh, sufficient pastures these are issues that have to do uh, with uh, the international security challenge uh, because you know uh, security uh, is linked to the terrorism that we have seen in the region this insecurity uh, of course in a way is linked to climate change it is one of the causes and i think uh, we need to uh, take this issue uh, in a holistic manner to be able to find solutions. And I think, uh, frankly, that uh, we are dealing with an emergency situation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, time to give the floor to our esteemed audience. And I'm going to call on a few people in the audience and uh, I will ask Aaron to let them in so that they can make their brief remarks. And the first person that I'd like to invite is Mr. Eik Ho Lim. Director, Trade and Environment at World Trade Organization. Uh, Mr. Lim, you have three minutes. Okay, um, thank you very much, organizer. I, I can see that I've been unmuted here. I, I don't think you have my video though. I'm not too sure about that. But in any case, it's great to be able to join this conversation. Great to be able to help um, the ODI and our colleagues in the Enhanced Integrated Framework and all of you uh, on this really important and, and challenging question. I think a lot has already been said. So let, let me try to just give a perspective from WTO in terms of the work that we're trying to do at the moment. Uh, uh, Dr. Jody Keane already mentioned that we see a lot more engagement, a lot more, if we want to call it momentum on many of the, the issues concerning trade and environmental sustainability at large. And then within that framing, of course, uh, climate change, a key question. Um, the members are organized currently in, in two large groups. Um, one is on the structured discussions on trade and environmental sustainability. Another is a, a very specific 
uh, group looking at the problems of addressing plastics pollution and an excellency. Ambassador Michaela is, is very familiar with that work and is also one of the, the countries uh, pushing on that work. Now, I think in all of these discussions, we, we always come back to three very big questions that have already been posed by this panel. And I think one is really looking at trade um, as, as a tool, trade being a tool to try to do more for climate action, uh, be it mitigation uh, and adaptation, and to be a bit more concrete on, on what does this mean. So we, we hear more discussions today on trying to drill down a bit further that when one says trade uh, for climate action, um, we know that one of the big instruments under the Paris Agreement is the, are the nationally determined contributions. And so the question arises, how can trade actually be supportive to these NDCs? From our rather cursory research so far, we, we see different elements and pathways to support NDCs, but it doesn't seem to be very explicitly thought of in terms of what trade policy can do. The other big question is trade and, and, and adaptation, climate adaptation. Again, we know there are plans to go ahead on, on national adaptation plans. Here, I think, as all the speakers said, very clear ways in which trade can help, be it in terms of diversification, uh, helping to climate-proof supply chains, or even to look at issues of comparative advantage as countries get hit by, by climate impacts. But again, we don't see enough focus work on, on how can trade be brought in into national adaptation plans. And I think that would be a really interesting area of work uh, uh, to look into. And then the last one, which is clearly a key one, is about securing a just transition uh, as supply chains adjust to net zero. Um, you know, when you look at the community of, of countries as LDCs, um, you know, certainly there must be something done here uh, to ensure that they are part of this just transition and that they are not negatively affected. And again, I think the work of ODI, uh, EIF, looking at vehicles such as uh, Aid for Trade, climate finance, and possibly better synergies between these two would be really important. And, and the last comment would just be to say that I, I think to get to all of this, the conversation has to be both ways. It's also integrating uh, climate policies and climate discussions at the WTO, but possibly also having uh, a way to talk about these issues in the climate community and the climate forum. Um, so bringing these two worlds closer together. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Lim, uh, for those remarks. Um, I would like now to call on Dr. Annalisa Freely, uh, who is a senior economist at the Structural and Innovation Unit at the OECD Development Center. Uh, Dr. Freely, you have three minutes. Hi, thank you. Uh, it's a real pleasure to, to be with, uh, with you all. Let me thank ODI, EIF, WTO, and IIED for setting up this very timely conversation. I've been hearing what you have all said so far. And uh, from the Development Center, we really think that aligning trade and climate strategies in LDC is paramount. And as many of the speakers and Jody highlighted, there is work going on, but there is need to do more. 
the agenda for reforms to manage the transition to an environmentally sustainable economy and society is vast, is vast for all the countries, and it is even bigger and more challenging in the case on, on LDC. Uh, let me share with you what we are doing on our side at the OECD Development Center in my division and what we are committed to do. We're committed to join forces and to work together with the LDCs and with other international organizations, focusedly and bringing one element in addition to what has been already discussed, which is how to strengthen productive capacities in LDCs and how to enable a production transformation and diversification in LDC in a way that on the one hand, it works for climate change adaptation and mitigation, but also in a way that enables LDCs to participate to the huge efforts in terms of research and development and piloting and testing of new solutions that is needed to transition to a new development model that makes our economies work in a way that is in line with respecting people, so centered on people, but also environmentally sustainable. And when we say the solutions that are needed, these are technological solutions. Of course, a lot can be done on technology transfer and enabling and facilitating trade to facilitate access to already available technologies. But it is also important to support LDC's participation in the development of new solutions, which can be technological, but also organizational. What are we doing now? And I'll conclude on this. We are actually starting this month a production transformation policy review, a PTPR, with the government of Bangladesh. This is an 18-month targeted support process that will implement in cooperation with several international organizations, including the UN, the Secretariat for the CDP, EIF, UNCTAD, and, and UNID. And what we will do with the government of Bangladesh is at the end of this 18-month process, we will develop a roadmap for reforms to make trade and industrial policies work for transforming the economy in a way that it is environmentally sustainable. And this is really something that for us is the first PTPR that we implement in an LDC and that we are eager to adapt the, the methodology. We have been doing this with emerging economies so far. We will include a module on what can we say to the donors and the international community in terms of how they can support Bangladesh to achieve its ambitions and vision? And we hope that this is a pilot that we can continue implementing, benefiting from cooperation from all of you and all the processes and the important actions you are all implementing in supporting LDC's development. Thank you for allowing me to join you today. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Primi. I'm now going to go to other participants and I have a question here from Simon Maxwell and he says uh, how can we turn this conversation into a manifesto for green trade if the LDCs were champions or exemplars of green trade a how would we know that is what are the indicators b what would they need to do and c what are the priorities for international action to support them uh, if you could also provide precise recommendations for policy, trade regimes, technology, and finance. So I'd like to ask uh, each of our panelists to give a, a three-minute response to this question from Simon Maxwell. Um, shall we start uh, with uh, you, Ambassador Michaela, if you were able to respond to some of these questions, especially given the focus on green trade? Ambassador Michaela?
Merci. Um, merci beaucoup. Um, je pense Thank que... you very much. I think that transitional strategies and the results that we envisioning should be defined in a clear way and should be able to implement and the LDCs should be involved. And this could provide, of course, a longer term vision that we need to even attract investment, guide and coordinate some actions and as well provide a basis for policies that would allow markets to function effectively. So from this angle, putting in place the appropriate financing mechanism to support LDCs in the face of climate change, of course, is very crucial. Of course, as you all know, the COVID pandemic has had a very disastrous impact on LDCs economies. So now the question is, how can more funding be made available? Where will this funding come from, this additional funding? These are all questions that we kind of feel are relevant and to which we call on our partners to help us respond effectively. And of course, as we can notice in industrialized countries, some consider that the fight against climate change should be rotated around policies and regulatory and probably, probably fiscal measures. But on the other hand, others advocate rather the introduction of market-based instruments to ensure temporal flexibility better tomorrow rather than today and being able to act geographically and finally having this flexible mechanism, flexible mechanism to offer a sort of like a middle way. For the LDC group, for example, the trade is a good way that would enable the LDC to tap into trade, to contribute to the priorities, for example, to ensure that protection of a clean and safe environment, or even the improvement of uh, the quality of life. No doubt, there's no doubt that uh, this preservation of our environment is crucial, not only for us, but also for future generations. Of course, here yeah, the point is to make trade an ally of the environment, just as environmental policy is an ally of trade. Yeah, we will also need to ensure that the multilateral trading system operates in a fair and efficient manner that supports growth and development and still allows everyone to access the goods and the services that they need. This would be my remarks that I would um, share with you. Thank you. respond to. Um, says, is five years leeway enough for recent LDC graduates, given that these trade and climate alignments, let alone negotiations on the CBAM measures, are going to be around for coming decades? And is there a risk that this becomes an African or sub-Saharan African issue? 
and the question continues saying that uh, he has seen in the small island nations, especially in South Pacific, Vanuatu, Timor-Leste, for example, but also in the North, uh, like the Marshall Islands and Atoll Republic, the severity of the climate change trade nexus. Even Guyana uh, has challenges with the presence of oil and gas companies, uh, and they need more time. So Laura, could you respond to this question, please? And you have three minutes. Thank you, Franny. Um, I have to say I'm quite pleased you gave me this question in some ways because Simon's, I think, was, is very interesting and important, but it sounds more like a sort of a research project than something that we could ask answer in a, in a three-minute um, response. But I think, and this sort of leads me into this, um, the, the, the issue of the transition periods um, in terms of actually LDCs being able to do and undertake concrete actions that help with mitigation and adaptation. A lot of IIDs work with the LDCs at the country level, not in the negotiations, is around things like locally led adaptation that really build on the needs and the issues that local communities are facing, the issues that women are facing who are often um, you know, more impacted by climate change. So I think it was nice to hear um, about the initiative in the OECD working with Bangladesh to really look at the detail of their um, production processes and how they can be supported um, to be greener and more inclusive. And I think the inclusivity aspect is really important because it's a debate in, in Europe and, and the US as well. Um, it's over 18 months ago now, but in France, we had the gilets jaunes when um, the government tried to impose higher taxes on petrol. So whatever we do, we really do need to do it in a way that is inclusive. And I think that also uh, applies to LDCs transitioning. Just because they've reached a certain stage of GDP, it doesn't necessarily mean they have the institutions in place to be able to address the climate challenges or to deal with the full range of commitments under the WTO uh, negotiations. So I think that, that there's an important sort of um, parallel there between concrete activities and rather than a sort of an, a, 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 a monetary amount of um, uh, GDP. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, again, an arbitrary five years. We don't know what's going to happen in five years. If five years ago, we'd have thought we would have had a global pandemic lasting for 18 months and still in the midst of it for, for many of us, um, we wouldn't have been able to predict that. So I think while it's, it's difficult in, in negotiations to negotiate flexibility, I think flexibility um, based on country situations and really support for concrete activities to really ensure that countries during a five-year transition period really are able to make the changes to their economies to be able to um, to, to, um, to address the climate challenge and to trade effectively. So that would be my, my response to sort of to, to both Simon and Adrian's questions. Thank you, Franny. And thank you very much, Laura. So I'm going to ask Jody if you could also revisit some of the questions that came from Simon, uh, particularly around the measures or indicators and then the international action to support them. And if you could sure. also uh, comment on the CBAM issue of how the LDCs can best respond to that. Jody? Yeah. Thank you. Yes, um, just to pick up on the point that, that Simon raised, I mean, I think I could answer that many different ways to answer that, um, that question, really. But I, I think when you talk about greening trade, 
you know, you're, we're, we're kind of thinking about, you know, transforming production into, you know, kind of cleaner production, um, enhancing competitiveness as we're moving, you know, as we, we're, we're in this, the, the transition, you know, towards, um, you know, net zero strategies and so on. So, you know, LDCs are going to have to be, they're, they're already, they already need to react to a lot of the, the actions that the big players are, are taking. Um, so I, I think it's important, though, that, um, you know, we recognise that, um, yes, it's great, we've got some momentum at the WTO in the structured discussions and so on. Um, but at the same time, you know, on a kind of unilateral level, we have the, the, the CBAM, we also have um, likely, you know, a reform of, of country GSP regimes, which are kind of heading down a more punitive, a punitive route, really. You know, if we've got, um, you know, you, you may no may longer have trade preferences, um, you know, if you don't adhere to um, specific climate change um, ambitions and so on. So it's kind of a bit of kind of punitive rather than thinking through how do we create the right incentives, you know, to assist LDCs and, and poorer countries in this transition. I mean, I'm always quite shocked that, you know, the kind of environmental conditionality or, you know, just thinking about incentives is really, really weak in these schemes. And thankfully, there's increased attention, uh, you know, on, on these issues. I mean, I think we can think quite carefully about rules of origin, perhaps tinkering around rules of origin, um, trying to enable um, thinking about accumulation with uh, environmental goods and services that could be one route um also thinking about you know as i mentioned the greening aid for trade is, is going to be a big big part of it but just more generally thinking you know trying to move towards a more incentive-based uh, approach i think what we've seen through our analytical work um supporting um, countries um, that are members of the AFCFTA, you know, you can see that there's a lot of ambition in reco economic recovery strategies from COVID, and there's beginning to be increasing alignment with, with climate change ambitions as well. But it's just kind of translating that, you know, what does that specifically mean in terms of trade policy? That's where it gets, you know, much more granular, and that's where there is a need for much more technical assistance, um, quite, quite frankly. Um, so just to then to move on to the final point about CBAM and what can countries do, how to, how do they adjust? I mean, I, I'm always shot down for this because people say I'm, you're, you're, I'm being way too optimistic, but, you know, the exempt, there are no exemptions for the LDCs currently within the EU proposal, but, you know, there are exemptions if you're part of the EU's ETS. So, you know, it seems that a kind of a strategy that could be pursued, though some people say this is just not realistic at all, you know, is just trying to get, you know, um, recognition that, you know, countries have their own ETS schemes in place. They need to have support, provide support for, for countries to set up their own ETS schemes to help them adapt to this, this new reality. And in setting up those, those regimes, you know, it's helping countries to tap into uh, international carbon markets and the new market opportunities um, that that are rising. I mean, I think it may be a kind of ten-year, you know, a longer-term um, objective. But you know, countries will need to adapt. They will, need, especially LDCs, want to avoid increased trade costs. You know, as they already face very, very high trade costs relative to other developing countries. So, you know, really trying to minimise the impact is is going to be really key. Uh, thank you very much. Much Jody for answering also Simon's question and the question from an anonymous attendee on the EU CBAM. Um, I have a question here that I'd like to ask Ambassador Michaela, uh, which is um, that there is a risk. This is a question from Sarah Collenbrander, uh, which is there is a risk that the discussions about climate proofing trade end up focusing narrowly on investment protocols 
the UNFCCC decisions on or WTO regulations, and that this risks missing the wider opportunity to unleash trade to scale, uh, particularly low carbon and climate resilience uh, technologies. Uh, and that green global value chains can create jobs, they can cut costs for options such as solar panels and electric buses. So in your view, what are the opportunities for LDCs and SIDS to integrate into emerging green value chains and how can the UNFCCC and the WTO architecture support them? Ambassador? Merci, merci beaucoup. Cette question, elle est, elle est, très, elle est très vaste. Thank you very much. This is a very huge question and large question because this is the, an issue how to integrate the product the the green value chain and integrate it with the in a, and when we talk about institutional capacity to be able to integrate the trade in this we have been working with the integrated framework to see how to um, be more innovative but i think currently this is an open ended question we do not have a right answers at the moment uh, but i think the it is a relevant question given uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, it is true that before COVID-19, uh, vulnerability of the countries, uh, especially the LDC uh, countries, uh, was an issue and their weak capacity to face this uh, were known before this pandemic. But of course, with the COVID-19, this uh, issue uh, worsened and today, uh, Clearly, we do not have a clear response to this, but we are working with our different partners to try and identify uh, the necessary solutions to better face uh, this um, challenge. Uh, we cannot run away from the challenge. We have to face it with the means that we have at our disposal at the moment. Uh, but of course, we will require support from our different partners. Thank you. With those uh, remarks, I would like to ask if, uh, Laura, you'd like to add anything to what the ambassador has just said, particularly since you raised the seeds, uh, particular constraints. So I think the only thing that I, I would add um, to what the ambassador said is that the responses that we need now, we do need to think about the impacts of, of COVID and I think um, earlier in the pandemic, we heard about the shortening of, of global value chains and people wanting to sort of bring production home and you know that there would be climatic impacts of that with less potential tankers going around the world. But I think what we've seen certainly in the UK where we are experiencing some supply chain crises again with empty shelves as a result of um, a lack of uh, drivers and problems with uh, goods being shipped from, from China, that um, we, we do need to think about the impacts of, uh, of events like COVID and extreme events um, 
like uh, we're seeing with weather events to do with um, with climate change. These are things that we really need to think about how we build into um, to our systems to, to address. So that would be the only thing that I would add. Uh, thank you very much, Laura. So I'll go now to Jody with a question that has come from Anton. Um, and he says that uh, he agrees that the best thing a climate aligned trade agenda could do for LDCs is to set tough low carbon trade terms that are linked to the significant investments that will enable low carbon manufacturing and commodities. Uh, softly, softly approaches risk locking LDCs into development pathways that are dated and unsuitable and not developmental. So as LDCs, uh, 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 his, his comment is that we as LDCs have to move beyond saying, this is our turn to emit and begin the processes that will position LDCs favorably in a global low carbon economy. Your thoughts on this, Jody? Thank you very much. Um, yes, I, I think this question really touches on, you know, it touches on the issues around a just transition um, in, in particular, and also, you know, how we can consider how climate finance and aid for trade could work more effectively together. I mean, I do, I do think it's you know it's an incredibly um, tough situation that um, you know some LDCs face. You know, I think of Mozambique, for example, and also you know the fact that the population has such a low share of access to electricity at the moment, and yet there are vast kind of natural resources there that are yet to be fully exploited. Um, you know, and if you're going to make the case that oh you shouldn't you know, go down that um, resource exploitation route, you should pursue something different, then, you know, there's, there's a need to provide, you know, to help countries shift into those, those new opportunities. And that is part of this, the, you know, the discussions around a, a just transition. So we've really, really got to think very smartly about how climate finance and, and aid for trade can work much more effectively together in order to tap in to you know the the new trade opportunities that are rising renewable energies and and so on i can think of another example the solomon islands you know it's a um, huge uh, amount of natural um, forest primary um, forest stock um, big issues around deforestation and logging but at the same time within its ndc there are um, you know there's mention about um, tapping into carbon markets so it, it's trying to move away from the kind of the, tr the, the structure of production and you know moving down this resource exploitation route into something different including trade in carbon well the international support mecha mechanism really really need to support that that process because it is you know LDCs face an unprecedented development challenge in in this respect and um, so you know the support mechanisms really really need to be there. Uh, thank you very much, Jody. And I believe that uh, a lot of uh, rich content can also be found in a UNEP uh, report that is being launched today at 9.15 a.m. EST, which is an emissions gap report uh, where the UN Secretary General and the UNEP Executive Director are going to be launching. So I suppose we can catch up on some points there as well. Um, I think we, we have maybe time for a quick round of comments from our panelists. We maybe two minutes each just to give your thoughts on any of the questions that have been raised and your comments uh, on, on, on this topic overall. And I'm going to start with Ambassador Michaela. If you have any other messages that you wanted to make this morning. Uh, merci, merci beaucoup. En fait, uh, Thank you. Well, 
as a message, uh, first of all, is to thank you for this activity, uh, an activity that is already uh, in line with the, the general strategy to communicate, to sensitize on the issue. And perhaps to say that uh, for LDCs, uh, like I said earlier on, that uh, it is uh, a question of an emergency, it is a matter of uh, urgency and we need to find uh, solutions. And we believe that we are all uh, on the same ship, we are all on board. And uh, this, of course, um, what is impacting the LDCs is not different uh, to the effects uh, in other WTO countries. And I'm uh, well aware that uh, negotiations are ongoing. It is not easy to conclude those. Uh, we are aware of that. And uh, uh, we think uh, that, uh, um, you know, uh, we'll uh, find some uh, consensus uh, beyond the protectionisms that we are looking at, uh, beyond uh, the uh, selfish market interests that we are looking at, uh, that we are facing today. But I think it is important to work together, to communicate, uh, to find solutions uh, that are going to uh, take into account um, all the challenges knowing that we are inhabitants of the same planet. What is happening in Ottawa, in a way, will have an effect uh, on someone in Dakar. Uh, so I think uh, we need to work together and um, find solutions that are common uh, solutions and, uh, uh, and that are possible or in terms of implementation. And uh, as we continue to discuss, we'll be able to find the solutions. And uh, as LDCs, uh, we believe uh, that those solutions are there and uh, we are confident in what we are doing. Thank you. Uh, yes, thank you. I'd really like to strongly endorse what the uh, ambassador has just said. I think this thing of working together I think it is really positive that the LDCs have come forward with their own net zero commitments um, by 2050. I think that is incredibly important. We've talked about them being some of the least emitters and being impacted the most. So I think that shows a real spirit, spirit of partnership and working together. So it's working together with developed countries, with the international institutions, with the WGO, the UNFCCC, the OECD, um, the multilateral development banks and the private sector to turn these plans into reality. And I think that's the that's one of the key things that um, we've talked about today and that working together with the different stakeholders participating in this discussion, we can actually begin to move forward. Thank you. Thank you very much, Laura. And Jody, for your closing remarks or any additional comments? Yes, thank you. Well, I, I just would like to thank um, Ambassador Makaila and um, other panelists, Laura, um, for their remarks here. I think I'd just like to kind of conclude, you know, that I really hope that this event, you know, provides some momentum, you know, for the LDC group in terms of securing smooth transition strategies as LDCs graduate. You know, this is still, you know, up for 
you know, they're still hoping to reach a, a ministerial decision on this. So I really hope that bringing in the climate change aspect, you know, increases the impetus really and, and increases you know, greater understanding amongst members that this is this is really, really important. You know, LDCs by definition, they are defined by their combined economic and environmental vulnerabilities, and these are directly affected um, by, by, by climate change. And um, so that would be my kind of last uh, big message. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jody. So we are unfortunately coming to the end of the discussion. It's been a fascinating conversation. Um, it's important that we act on these issues with urgency. As Dr. Ngozi rightly said, protecting nature means protecting livelihoods. And bridging climate and trade is therefore imperative for human development. The LDC groups must work together on these issues. Many of the LDCs are regionally close. Uh, they are concentrated on the African continent. So as climate negotiations take place very soon in Glasgow for COP26, and as we look forward to next year's COP in an African country, let's carry on championing the alignment of climate and trade as a calling card for both climate and trade negotiations and in other forums and beyond. Um, if I were to highlight three takeaways from today, uh, they would be, uh, first of all, we need to get it right. The interface between climate action and trade opportunities needs to be right so that we can address all of these issues. Second, we have to have it all add up. The bottom-up NDCs, the company-by-company, country-by-country actions, they all have to add up. And third, we need to listen and include particularly the voices of the LDCs in order to secure a just transition. So those are the three key takeaways. And uh, there is a comment I'd like to make uh, from uh, Adrian Hewitt, uh, who basically uh, has uh, talked uh, about uh, two, let me just get it back up here, um, the two lost COVID years to the five years that have already uh, gone by. Uh, these are, are really important to look at as we offer, particularly the LDC graduates, a seven-year transition. Uh, so this is a question mark uh, and a question to be discussed. So Adrian, thank you for making that additional comment. Um, so I think we have come to a point where we would like to share with you uh, an exclusive message from Dr. Beth Dunford, Vice President of Agriculture, Human and Social Development at the African Development Bank Group. She has kindly provided us some remarks to close this fantastic event. We were going to be putting them in the post event, but now that we have a bit of time, I would like to uh, ask the AV team to, to, to play that video. And thank you, Dr. Beth Dunford, and thank you all for joining us today. Uh, and before I also close, I want to give a special thank you to the WTO, and the EIF, who are the sponsors of this event, and uh, ODI and IIED, and all the attendees who have come to listen to this very important topic uh, today. Uh, this will be uh, an event that will be important going forward. And with that, I would like to ask for this video to be played and wish you all a great day as we watch the video from Dr. Danford. The ODI AVI team.
Thank you for inviting the African Development Bank to join you as the Overseas Development Institute winds down its event on aligning climate and trade strategies for least developed countries. And it's no secret that Africa is the most vulnerable continent to climate change impacts. The continent contributes the least to global warming and has the lowest global emissions. Yet Africa faces exponential collateral damage, posing systemic risks to its economies, infrastructure investments, water and food systems, public health, agriculture, and livelihoods. In short, climate change threatens to undo the continent's development gains and slip Africans into higher levels of extreme poverty. And as you know, the world's 10 least developed countries are in Africa. Seven of the planet's 10 most vulnerable to climate change are in Africa. The International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has determined that the continent is heating up faster than the rest of the world, 10 years faster than originally projected. So to combat this, a multilateral approach, looking at climate mitigation, adaptation, and climate financing is key to the future of least developing and developing nations in Africa. We need to look at these solutions as interlinked if we are, are to keep Africa on the path towards prosperity contributing to global trade. So the bank's African Development Fund contributes to poverty reduction, as well as economic and social development in Africa's least developed countries by providing concessional funding for projects and programs. The bank's multilateral approach works. We collaborate with our 54 regional member countries and 26 non-regional member countries to fund African solutions to the continent's development challenges. In the past five years, the bank has positively impacted the lives of 335 million people. More than 21 million people have gained access to electricity. 76 million have access to agricultural technologies to ensure their food security. And 12 million people now have access to finance through the companies the bank itself has invested in. And if I can add, 69 million people benefit from improved transport infrastructure, whereas 50 million people benefit from improved water and sanitation. So the bank and other multilateral institutions are creating jobs, empowering youth and women, and building resilience as part of our work in least developed and developed nations. There's much work to be done and much opportunity to be had. For example, the African Union Green Recovery Action Plan, and of course, the African Continental Free Trade Area. So there's a greater call to bring a climate lens to economic and human development. If these nations are to achieve ambitions of contributing to world economies while lifting millions out of poverty and improving the life of its citizens. So the bank is carrying out this ambition by planting, and in some cases that's literally, the seeds that boost economic growth and trade and climate adaptation. So our flagship Technologies for African Agricultural Transformation Program is championing a sustainable climate smart agriculture. This program is delivering proven agricultural technologies like drought tolerant maize, heat tolerant wheat, low carbon emission protein production of aquaculture. And also known as TAT, this flagship has reached some 11 million farmers across 29 African countries by aligning adaptation to climate change with human and economic development while dramatically increasing food yields. And TAT's impact is impressive. African food production has expanded by more than 12 million metric tons. We are well on our way to achieving our target of reaching 40 million farmers. In Ethiopia's Awash region, for example, the TAT-funded heat-tolerant wheat seed varieties are helping a women's farming cooperative harvest more grain where ordinary wheat struggle to survive in high daytime heat. Um, 
farmer, Elfinesh Bekele, told us she's selling enough grain now to put her children in school and for the cooperative to buy a tractor. Ethiopia is reversing uh, trade of importing wheat to become wheat self-sufficient in just a few years. The direct and indirect costs of taking action on climate change will be high, but we know that the costs of inaction will be much higher. For example, with climate change, Western and Eastern Africa could lose up to about 15% of their gross domestic product by 2050. Global efforts towards a low emissions, low warming scenario, as expressed by the Paris Agreement's long-term goals, could avert a large part of the most serious macroeconomic and development consequences for Africa. We feel strongly that we should be focusing on clean energy and renewable energy. We're helping least developed and least and developing nations harness the ex extensive sources of solar, hydro, wind, and geothermal power. What needs to be achieved is a move from billions to trillions of dollars of investment and climate financing to build least developed and developing nations resilience. At the bank, we have doubled our allocation for climate finance to 25 billion by 2025. And today, 67% of our climate finances adapt adaptation which is the highest of any international financial institution in the world. We're increasing private sector financing for climate change through several initiatives, including the African Financial Alliance for Climate Change. The Alliance aims to seek more financial institutions, the private sector, stock and stock markets, scale up investments in green and clean energy. In addition, the, the bank and the Global Center for Adaptation have launched the African Adaptation Acceleration Program to mobilize an additional 12.5 billion uh, to scale up climate adaptation and resilience across the continent. The African Development Bank is using its Sustainable Energy Fund for Africa to support the development and promotion of renewable energy. In the Africa Sahel region, the bank is investing $20 billion in the construction of a 10,000 megawatt desert to power solar zone. It will cover 11 countries, four of them listed on the world's ranking of top 10 least developed countries. The initiative aims to supply 250 million people with green electricity. Looking forward, COP27 is scheduled to be held in Africa. And Egypt's president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, declared his, country, his country's interest to host the COP27 summit, saying that adaptation to climate change is a top priority for developing countries. Despite the havoc caused by the global 19 pandemic, particularly for least developed countries, there is an urgent need to take action on climate change after more than 20 years of negotiations. However, the information tools to support policymakers' decisions and actions are lacking, particularly in least developed and developing countries. We have to change this via a multilateral approach, collaboration, working together. The Paris Agreement secures a long-term multilateral framework that covers all parties to the um, Framework Convention on Climate Change. All subjects of key interest for African nations are there, including mitigation, adaptation, loss and damage, the means of implementation for developing countries. That these are placed firmly, firmly under a multilateral agreement is the best hope for addressing these interests comprehensively and in collaboration with Africa's global economic, trade, political allies. The long-term temperature and mitigation limits we have will have implications for the um, debate on equity. While the appeal for international financial support should remain strong, emissions should be reduced globally. With international financial support, least developed and developing country economies have an opportunity to lead a transformation that will realize climate-smart, sustainable economic growth and trade.
least developed and developing countries can better find an appropriate balance between mitigation and adaptation, human and economic development. The future of our planet may hinge on how well all nations align these transformational priorities. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Danford, for those closing remarks. I'd like to thank our panelists, His Excellency Ambassador Mr. Ahmed Makayla, Dr. Jody Keane, uh, Ms. Laura Kelly, His Excellency Mr. Sonam Funcho Wangdi, and uh, of course, uh, the very special video remarks from Dr. Ngozi Okonjo Iwala. I would like to uh, also uh, mention to those who've been participating and those who could not uh, join us that this event is going to be available uh, as a recording after this live session and uh, that you'll be able to see it on the ODI website. And we also recommend visiting the EIF ODI IID project page in the coming weeks as the project launches more outputs. And I would encourage you to, to watch this space for other important ODI events. Uh, for example, there is one on uh, aid for trade and other research work that ODI puts out regularly. Uh, so don't be concerned if you missed uh, this uh, opportunity to hear the whole event or if you were unable to, to attend. Thank you all very much and I wish you a wonderful day and thank the AVI team at ODI for such a smooth event and Aaron for supporting us in the background. Thank you all very much and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.